Cross the Streams Podcast. Cross the Streams Podcast. Kip and Kane. Season 4 is here. New content in all our favorite segments like Listen Up, Hometown Heroes, Useless Full Information, Calling Men In, and many more. The Ion Brothers are back, everybody. Cross the Streams Podcast, Useless Full Information segment. Kip's here. Uh, Kane is not able to join us, but our usual co-host and contributor on this segment, Coach Jack Martino, is here with me. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. You are fresh off a road trip, yes? Had to, had to do a road trip, yeah. It was not it was not fun. Nine hours straight in the car. The We will get into how you made it socially distancing and safe and caught some stuff in, but we'll we'll get into that. Uh, useless full information. Those of us, if it's your first time joining us for this version of Cross the Streams podcast, Coach Martino and I's relationship is built on long conversations that start on a given subject and sidebar and twist and random tangent in 47 directions, but eventually get you the information you came for. So we turn that into a podcast segment, and here we are. And we're lucky enough today to have one of our favorite people uh, join us to shed some light and information and add to our random tangents and sidebars in our in our conversation uh, but I'm gonna let him he's a returner he's kind of a veteran he doesn't have as many appearances as you Martino but he's been on the pod he was a season oneer Gregory reintroduce yourself please sir <laughs> uh, hey Kip uh, Martino thanks for having me uh, my name is Greg Plater I actually know these two bozos um, <laughs> here we go at my high school, McKay High School, Coach Martino was my coach, um, and Kip was one of our teachers, but also um, just as much a coach uh, in that right. So I've known you guys for what? It's been man. 15 years? Man, oh man. It has been. We're getting old. We're getting old because you're an adult now. And I just turned 31, so. <laughs> we are. Well, great. Before we – we're going to give everybody – we'll give them – we'll be able to tell the background of our all of our fun times together in our in the history of our relationship and shed some light on how good of a player Greg was and how Martino was a great coach and letting him yeah. just shoot 65 times a game. Um, but Greg, <laughs> since we last saw you, last time you were on here, you know, we, you let, just update us everything going on in your world, how you handled COVID. We'll let coach Martino will let you update. Cause I know you, uh, Scott hadn't run the beginning of COVID on the podcast. So just how is the world looking to everybody these days? And Greg, you start. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So since the last time we spoke, I um, completely detached from basketball. So, you know, my pro career is over and uh, I've sort of transitioned to working in tech and started exploring uh, graphic design and the arts. And so that's become really, really exciting for me. Um, a lot of writing, a lot of um, learning and, and just kind of understanding more and more of the parts of life that I felt that I wasn't getting uh, in my basketball career and so to have uh, the ability to learn and see life in a different way and sort of what I would like to call like my next chapter is awesome because now I'm reflecting and, and um, comparing that with my first chapter in sports and I see that there's a lot more overlap and skills and foundations and things that I can use for now so yeah still with the intellectual athlete um, that's transformed a little bit um, uh, I'm doing a career adjustment right now, looking to get into graphic design and more of the arts. That's been my passion since I was younger. And uh, just trying to stay safe and, and make sure that I'm uh, aware and conscious of uh, my privilege and how much uh, support and positive surroundings I have to stay mentally uh, aligned during this time in COVID and just really uh, 
to finish it off, I'd say a lot of my, my mental energy goes outwardly towards thinking about um, the people around the world, around the country, and uh, in my community. I live in Oakland who are uh, not able to take care of themselves like um, I am myself. So a lot of it's just, man, just humbled to, to have a healthy life, a happy life, and family's all good. So that's where I'm at, just staying mentally balanced. Martino, when he was talking, you know what it made me think of? Young no. Greg would have called that so deep. Yo, Wait, right? Young Greg would have called that, and I love it. Right? It's it's so Man, true. I was, waiting, I was waiting for Ramiko's head to pop up <laughs> behind the corner. Oh, that was, no! I appreciate that, Greg, because I think a lot of what we'll, and we'll give you a chance to get into a lot of this later. I've enjoyed watching your journey through your chapters because I've done a lot of learning while you, you know, because you're you're not a guy that's afraid to that's not you're not afraid to share new insights, new thoughts, new just thought provoking things on all your social media platforms. So I've enjoyed trying to improve myself along with you as you go through your journey of exploration of things. So I think that's that's been really fun to watch you do. Coach Martino, how are you experiencing COVID right now, my friend? Uh, I first want to say it's just fun watching Greg grow. Even though he looks like he's still 16, <laughs> we get to see him here in the Zoom meeting. I can't believe he's 31. He's <laughs> half that age. No kidding. Uh, you know, it. I, I can't say it as eloquently as Greg. I, I'm done the damn thing. I mean, I'm an old guy. Um yeah, I'm staying locked up for the most part. I don't, I don't go out much. I, I went grocery shopping a couple of times, but I let my wife handle that. I just slow her down anyway, because I just keep buying burritos and pop tarts uh, and taking the cart. You, anyway, I think the last uh, time you said part, you were, uh, last time you mentioned you were less than five feet from food at all times, and that was a bad deal. Yeah, it was tough. <laughs> it was tough, man. Oh my goodness! How did the school year wrap up for you? Because I know on your last episode we were able to talk about education during COVID nineteen, and yeah. you know, kind of how did that wrap up? I'm almost ashamed to admit it, man. I, there was not much for me to do in my position. You know, I, we handle. Uh, I want to reword how we're going to say this next year, but we handle a behavior specialist. We handle discipline type situations, kids that um, whose behavior might need to be addressed. Behavior and discipline are words I kind of drive me nuts using, but. Um, and I, we just didn't have that opportunity. Kids were not interacting as much as we wanted at our in our school, um, for one reason or another. Um, and I just didn't stay that busy. I kind of helped some math teachers out and did some office hours helping kids out if they wanted to come get help for math. But uh, I, I think based on meetings I was in, we had stressed out teachers. The kids who were trying to work hard were stressed out kids, and um, well, we had some teachers that were a mess by the mm -hmm. time that thing was all over. You know, yeah. and it was, I felt bad for them because they, they didn't know what they were doing and they had, they were getting pressure to get kids to, to participate and kids weren't participating. And, you know, you got 200 kids that you're trying to get. It was tough. Those, those teachers had a real tough time. They're, mm -hmm. you know, we've, we've, uh, in that profession, you got to be flexible. But I mean, this is the ultimate of flexibility here. I mean, this is a, this is a thing that you, you don't know what, you don't know what the next day is going to bring. Right. I mean, we're talking about your basketball season and stuff. Everything you guys talked about today might change tomorrow. Right. Right. Like you don't know what's going on. Yeah. So it's the, the, the uncertainty I think has really worn people down, at least in our profession. Yeah. I mean, Greg, it made me think about something you mentioned in, in your little intro, just the ability to, to have the time to sit and ponder these traumas is in and of itself yeah. like a privilege to be able to do because there's a lot of people like coach you just mentioned if you're a teacher with kids in a in a let's say your partner is an essential worker was still going to work you got the dad the dad or mom thing on top of the teacher thing where there's no real time to digest how effed up it may be so i, I yeah. know that's been i'm sure the truth for a lot of folks 
Mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking that exact thing is um, the the dead time allows me anyway to at least investigate a little bit more and all this other nonsense going on. Mm-hmm. We were still working or, you know, you're coaching summer league basketball, you're, you're taken away from stuff, but you're able to focus it. And, and in the same token, I don't know how you with, with three kids and two teachers basically in the family, I don't know how you guys did it without going nuts. Well, my wife is, my wife is easily the MVP of that whole scenario. Cause well, this guy, that was, this guy just goes in moods. This guy likes to go for walks by himself and listen to the Joe Budden podcast because he thinks it's yep. it's cool to go for an hour and just think. Meanwhile, the yep. three kids are burning the house down and we have a puppy. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> it seems easy. Hey, let's go. I want to. I want to dive into a lot of the things we talked about later, but let's let's just rewind a little bit. Talk about um, you know our our relationship as a group. The 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 hallways of McKay, uh, one of the most diverse schools in the state of Oregon. Which we can talk about the diversity in Oregon in and of itself later. Uh, but let's just reminisce a little bit. There, there's some there's some fun memories there. You know, especially you two. I want to give you two a chance to maybe tell a couple stories of the basketball. You know, kind of the evolution. Martino, the head coach, Greg, you and your class classmates really putting the hoops program back on the map after a long hiatus so when you guys think back to mckay and basketball what things come up is it the end result of all your work is it the practices is it the relationships what come up in your head remembering god what was that early 2000s greg mid 2000s when we were all there together 2003 to 2007 like my first memory is Greg in it like I think one of the coaches brought you to a morning run and I was still young enough to think I could play. And I was like, Who is this loud kid that you guys brought to play? And then he blew by me once and I was like, Oh, that's why he's here. Okay. But you guys, what do you he think about it? More than once. <laughs> what things come in what things come up? What memories get stirred up? Yeah. Um it's crazy because there's there's so many that it's hard to pinpoint one, but I would say a feeling that I get is like joy. I get a lot of joy and excitement thinking about how special the teams we had were, how special the group we had was, and how much fun I had as with the team, but also individually. I I, I don't think it's it's very rare that people get to have full reign to to lead a team. You know, Coach Martino like fully trusted me to lead the team he fully trusted me to be able to uh, compete and to make those big plays and to do what was needed to win um, individually and then you know as a creator as a point guard right um, and then I think about the team that we had based on the, you know we lost a few players to injuries and you know we had a great team but we still were very much a uh, defensive minded squad I would say so to do what we did with that team it's like it's amazing you know what i mean on like 12 different levels so that's what comes to mind just like wow (laughs) and for folks listening you know i want to put context to what greg's referring to and then let coach talk about i mean you guys went to that's back when we you got eight teams to matt court yes it was mckay's first time going there in how many decades uh, and Greg, right? And Greg, I want to give you and I and you're a humble kid, so I'll brag for you. But you're on the first team All State team with Kevin Love and Kyle Singler, 
you know, you're yeah. there with guys that end up, and you're the you're right there setting a lot of scoring records for the state tournament. And so the accomplishments, no doubt, I mean, they were unbelievable. And I just got to co-sign and hype you guys in the stands and talk shit for, about everybody that they're sleeping on the Mac. Uh, but Martino, similar to I remember from my point as a teacher, and I had all you kids in class and obviously was close with Coach, I remember a big pride in, you know, just seeing you guys accomplish those things because I don't think people expected much. Uh, from McKay in general, even in just the Salem area, much less the state. So seeing you guys kind of change perspectives and change expectations for people was great. But Coach Martino, you, your turn. You, what, what do you remember right off the bat? Uh, same thing. Great up, kid. Dude? It's it's stuff I can't. I mean, I, I don't I don't know how you forget that. You know, maybe if my memory gets shot at some <laughs> point down the road, but I, I can I can taste it just like it was yesterday. I can smell the popcorn. That we we. Uh, we were doubted by our the people in our city, let alone the people in the state, let alone I get to the state tournament with seven other coaches, and they're basically just pushing. They don't even know who I am. They're pushing past <laughs> me. They don't know what McKay is. They don't know who Greg is. And right. meanwhile, there's there's nights where he's the best player in the state when you got two NBA players in the same state. Greg was the best player on, on many given nights, I bet. Um, and they, they had no idea what they were – what they were going to get to watch and what they were going to get to see. And the, the, the stuff that Greg did, and, and he says we're a defensive-minded, that was his nice way to say that he was the only guy on the team that could score. <laughs> and everybody we played knew it. And every team uh, got torched. It was it was an unbelievable display. It's something I don't see how – I mean, he the fact that he was – you know, people always ask me, would you run that year? Well, we got boxing one or trying one every single every night but one, and the one night they didn't do it, he scored eighteen points in the fourth quarter all by himself, <laughs> and and had forty seven in Redmond. I mean, they had to box and one us just to keep him to twenty two. It was an amazing, an amazing run that that season, his senior season. But it was a, it was a three year run that was yeah. so much fun, yeah, because we went from non existence. To a, a doormat, a, a piece of garbage that we were continued to be called, right. which I was going to talk about later. But I mean, that's no one had any respect for us. Nobody thought we, we were hoodlums, as, as as Kip says, with a low income school. They're locking the locker room. There's a, we got to lock the locker room. Double lock it. Mm -hmm. Double lock it. McKay's coming. I mean, they they didn't trust us, and, right. and we use at least I use that, and I push it on the guys, but nobody thinks we're any good and that kind of stuff. for three years we were able to say that mm -hmm. and outperformed what anybody ever thought we could do for those for those three years it was an unbelievable run greg do you remember it as a three-year build you know i, I know it's oh, easier for us lost your sound kit oh sorry Greg, do you remember it as a, as a, as a three-year build? I know for us, you know, we're, when we're older and teachers and coaches, we're always looking at big picture stuff. But when you're in it as a young high school kid that's like, you know, you played a ton of – you scored a ton of points as a sophomore. Do you remember it as a progression? Or, you know, how, how does that work for you? Yeah, I actually do. Because it, I think about myself in those times. Like, you remember when I was a sophomore, I was a buck thirty-five <laughs> – you know, a little afro, like just a baby deer out there, you know? And so I think of myself and I was like, wow, I had a hard time dribbling with my right hand. I had a hard time being vocal. You know, I'd look at myself uh, as progressing and then I think, okay, that was kind of where the team was at. You know, we were mid-pack, could win some games, but couldn't win demand, uh, couldn't demand a win, you know, uh, convincingly, couldn't win convincingly. 
And then junior year was like, I was coming out of my shell, growing into my own. The summer leagues that we had, Martino, were super, super helpful for my development. I mean, that's where I really developed my confidence was in the summer league, um, playing against a lot of really good teams. And so then I'm thinking, okay, as I developed, we got, I remember playing against a team from Washington and they had a really good point guard um, to kick my ass. And Martino was like, hey, if you want to be a player, you got you to gotta grow up. And you got to be able to challenge guys like that. And then I think, okay, the team was then, you know, top two, top three in the league that next year, my junior year, right? And then the senior year, fully confident. I mean, the amount of time over those three years that I spent in the gym, that our team uh, was in the weight room and guys were dedicated. I mean, we had so many moments where guys were just sacrificing a lot of time for the team. And so you think, okay, that all paid off as some of the guys who started with the program graduated and left the people that came in were walking into something that was already beginning to be established. So it felt really good to see like, okay, it started off kind of like we had guys who were halfway in, you know, not like a hundred percent, like, Hey, we're going to be something. And then as the years progressed, it was like by my senior year, nobody questioned it. Martino had a full lock on like the personality dynamics. And he was like, Hey dude, if you don't want to be a part of this, you can get out, but we have something special here. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. that's what I remember. It's like, okay, it definitely grew and you could see it. And I, as I grew, I felt like the team, not that I was the team, but just like I saw both, you know, yeah. I think about it. I both really, it sounds like culture creation. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Martino, did you, you know, have we, that feel like when they, when Greg's group was freshmen, did you and your staff have that feel? I mean, I know we talked about there's talent, you know, I know you and I talking about a lunch right. break, there's talent here. Did you guys kind of have a three year plan? I know the Popoviches and all the great coaches of the world claim these. Me man, I probably I barely get past practice tomorrow. But exactly. how how did you no, approach we, it? And that's and that's kind of how we were living. We were living lunch to lunch, trying to figure <laughs> out what we we're gonna do at practice in your room. I mean, <laughs> you know, when they're when they're freshmen, we had we had two big kids, and we had Greg. And but Greg, when he was a freshman, might have weighed one twenty with a big old afro. That was mostly hair. So <laughs> and, and he was and he was a transfer kid, in. I didn't know most of the kids knew him because he was from that area. But you know how many times at McKay did we get transfer kids in and we're gonna go, oh this guy's gonna change it we're gonna we're gonna win the state football championship because mm-hmm. he can, he's gonna be a D one linebacker and the guy disappears you know two weeks later or he can't play or doesn't mm-hmm. want to play and so you don't you just you're just going you're just rolling the flow you're just going with what you got but when you when you see there were three guys in particular Greg and, and the two big kids and you see that and you go now. You've got because those guys are athletic. Now you now you're alone because mm-hmm. they were two of the bigger kids in the league, and we had the best player in the league, and it wasn't close. So they didn't even need to score a lot of points. They get garbage stuff. I, I can, I and the other thing that helps. Greg was talking there. He was growing and he was figuring it out. And his the, the good thing about that group, and it didn't have much to do with me. It had to do with the the personality of those kids. They loved Greg. Greg was like their brother. He stayed the night at multiple people's houses. I bear, I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. He was like their brother. So they they wanted to do it. They wanted him to be the star. Hey, we got to get him the ball. I mean, I didn't have to say that. Greg's got to have the ball. We got to do this for Greg. Everything's about Greg. You never, you didn't have any. There was nobody there who was going to say Greg's getting the ball too much, mm-hmm. or because I would have thrown him out of the gym. But there was yep. none of that stuff. Every I never had to worry about. It. Mm-hmm. And. I can remember Big Reese. It was our junior year. We're practicing for the playoffs. So we were the, it was just varsity in the gym. We had one playoff game. Was that junior year? Your junior year, right? Camby beat us. And Camby wasn't ready yeah, for that you. Was my year. Camby wasn't ready for you, and you lit them up. That's another story. But anyway, we're practicing, and Reese was hurt. He was nursing a boo-boo leg. 
and you know crazy reese he he grabs me he comes over he's just holding the ball and he comes over he goes hey if we coach we could be good next year i go no shit <laughs> yeah reese so then i try to walk to, to go yell at somebody he grabs my shirt no i'm serious we can be really good i go go throw him off the floor <laughs> but no i mean that was you, you know you 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 started feeling it that mm-hmm. that junior year and, and it really helped those guys loved greg because of his personality yeah made it easier to coach I want to dive into a lot of this this culture piece here in a minute. Let's take our first break, and we'll be right back. Across the Stream Podcast and its creators, Kip and Kanayon, stand for anti-racism and for being disruptive to bigotry in all its forms. Before, now, and forever, we implore our listeners to listen to learn, learn to care, and care enough to act. All right, we're back. Uh, useful information, Coach Martino, Greg Plater with us. Fellas, you guys spent a lot, you know, in reminiscing, and I, it was fun to hear just that the power of culture creation and behind the scenes, and it ended up in results. And that's kind of where I want to take us next in, you know, framing it. You can tell some of those stories, Greg. You can draw on experiences at Long Beach State or in, or professionally, coach teams you coached afterwards, and I'll chime in. My, my thought being there is such great, like the stories in the 30 for 30s we see, revolve around this power of sports to bring people together no matter who they are where they're from what they look like in achievement of a goal so i do want to talk about that and you guys experience seeing it happen because it did at mckay but also the flip of that i don't think it's a guarantee i don't think it's a guarantee that just because we're on a team for football basketball baseball volleyball that we're all this close tight group um, that sacrifices everything. But you guys mentioned, let's let's stay with the positive first. Like, Martino, it's rare. Like, Greg did get to shoot the goddamn ball 30 times. And I've coached plenty of teams and been on plenty of teams where that wouldn't fly necessarily. I think it has to do with how you created a culture. And, Greg, you talk about how you tried to relate to the teammates off the floor to make that a reality that they were like, no, please do shoot more. You know, you think about an Iverson team in 01. Eric Snow was like, no, feel free to shoot it. But then in 05, it didn't fly anymore. You know what I mean? So, like, a Kobe got his whole career. I'm going to shoot it all the time. And people, some years absolutely in, some years not. So let's let's go down this path a little bit about the realities of that sports as a joining force, what makes it true, and then maybe some ways that it's not true later on. Greg, Greg, start with you. Okay. As the superstar. And that's I don't think that's not hyperbole because in Salem no. you were. That was still when newspapers were a big deal. The Oregonian, yeah. like you're a you were a deal by the time you're a senior, you were a deal. You you know, you weren't Kevin Love, but you were like, they got this other guy in Oregon that can play. So how did you manage that status but also keep the closeness that you obviously had with that team? Yeah. 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 Honestly, uh it came down to my relationships. First of all, it's my personality. Like, I'm, I've never been a person who's had all the cards in my favor. I've always been an underdog. You know, I've, I've always had to work for every single thing I've gotten. And so I had opportunities. Martino knows. I had other opportunities once I started becoming a better player to leave McKay. Mm-hmm. Other people, teams trying to recruit me, you know. Um, and I was really considering those just because I was thinking about my individual career. Right. I was like, what's going to be best to help me get to college? Not that I was like, hey, I just want to go get buckets, but just like I want to mm-hmm. make sure that I can get this goal. And then um, it was my freshman year when a lot of this started to happen, sophomore year a little bit. Um, but when Martino and I talked, he told me, you know, what he wanted the the program to be, what he mm. saw me. Like a vision? 
like a vision. Yeah, he said, okay. I have a vision for you, for our team, and with the pieces that we have, like he mentioned, the big guys, a couple other guys who who know their role, we can be special. And so that for me was all I needed to hear. Just like, okay, I got a coach who believes in me. I got friends who I grew up with who believe in me, and and people know what I'm bringing to the table. So when you have people who trust you. Um, mm-hmm. And not just as a player, but as a person, mm-hmm. it allows you to be more vulnerable in the situations to speak as a leader. And I felt like I really wanted to empower the other teammates to know, like, hey, I can't do this by myself. I can score 30, 40 points, but we might lose and it's going to still feel like crap. So how can I challenge you and, and push you to be ready for those moments when I'm dishing it to you or, hey, I'm off, you know, I'm having an off night. Or, you know, whatever the scenario mm-hmm. is, you have to be ready, right? And you're just as important. So then when you, I think, and this is something that can be translated to society, is if you show people their uh, their worth mm. and hold people accountable, I feel like people will show up if you instill trust in them. Did you know you were doing that when you were 17? Did you know, like, I know you were, but did you know, was that purposeful and intentional? Can you remember that when that thought process changed to it's not about just buckets, I've got to get Jordan to rebound or I've got to get Evans to buy into guarding and never shooting. Yeah, no, it's, that's always been the way I've been. Mm. Um, Not because of anything other than the surroundings I've had. Mm. My mom, all of my coaches, like I'm lucky because every sport that I played, baseball, basketball, football, um, teachers I've had, my family, like that's the message that I've continually got. Uh, push to me is be selfless mm. uh, being a leader or is uh you know involving these certain traits and so by that time it was just normal you know mm. what i mean i was like okay i'm not even thinking like i want to get buckets i'm like hey i can do this and if i do this well okay we'll see where it goes you know you're not thinking yeah. hey, i'm gonna score this, this amount of points i'm just like hey i want to be as good as possible i want to win and i want to connect with my teammates it, it, at the end of the day my success was better because I didn't make it about me. Mm. Coach Martino didn't make it about me. He said, hey, this is what everyone has to do in their role. And if you do that, we'll find some success. And then you'll be happy. Then you'll be excited. Then you'll feel galvanized. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think at the end of the day, to wrap it up, it's like if you put yourself into others, you're going to win. Like we're all going to eat instead of thinking, oh, I got to get mine first. Mm-hmm. And like I said, that can be translated to any any. Right. No, I appreciate that. Martino, do you remember for yourself – you know, because that—I mean, how many years had you been a head coach by the time you got great? Four or five? My, my first year as a head coach, he was a freshman. Oh, okay. So, so were you yeah. ha- were you thinking outside of scheme? I know my first two years as the boss, it was all what is what does this X do when this O goes here, and not really buying into the culture piece, or it, not that I didn't believe in it, but I was just like I'm swamped by the schedule. How did you manage this? Was it were you growing with them? You know, I treated it when I took that job because I knew that school I had been there as a JV coach for three years I knew that we had to treat every day like it was basketball camp mm. and so I was I was not looking at playoffs I didn't expect to make the playoffs at any in any stretch ever I just wanted the guys to get better um, I wasn't a big X and O guy I was organized I thought I was organized and I thought I could teach I thought those were my best traits and so I just hired guys that I thought could help me teach Mm-hmm. And we're going to run everything like a camp. Mm. And that's that's how we practice because these guys didn't know how to play. We're not talking about AAU for those kids mm. when they were young. We're not talking about, I mean, what were they playing in? 
in seventh and eighth grade in 2002. There was nothing in the city of Salem with those kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, they played at the Boys and Girls Club. Probably Greg probably did some of that too when he was younger. I mean, that's <laughs> that's what they had. So our thought was that I didn't get ahead of myself. I was, hey, can we be, can we climb towards 500 at some point in my run here before they run me out of town? And I thought the best way to do that was to teach these guys footwork, every little tiny piece, like they were at a, like they were at a third grade camp. Did you incorporate, I love that thought, Prod. did you incorporate the fun of camp too? Or was it more just, because your personality is fun. I mean, you're sarcastic and you'll, you'll let somebody know how you feel about them. But I, I, where did that aspect come in? Or Greg, do you remember that? Do you remember it as a teaching environment? You mentioned the trust with your program. Like, where, you two talk about that. Because I think a lot of coaches struggle with that. Well, Bobby Knight was a drill sergeant and he won. But Coach K seems like he's pretty fun. And really the reality is in, in, in between there somewhere, right? Well, I, we didn't do anything extra fun. I mean, I was I was a goofball like I always was when I was in the classroom, and I just let I just pretty much carried the classroom into the gym. I was just instead of teaching math, I was teaching how to shoot layups going off the correct foot. I mean, it was that simplified. So I didn't try and and do anything separate. And and I would be a I would be a jerk too much, probably a hard ass. But the thing that helped with Greg is he's the best player in the city by far and one of the top three in the whole state, and I could get after him like I got after Joe Schmo that never played. He let me get after him. Mm-hmm. And that, I was spoiled because you don't get a player, Kip, you know, mm-hmm. how many how many super special athletes you get that you go, yeah, I, I can't say this to that kid. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go this route. You're really good at that, Kip, and you're really good at knowing what I can say to Joe that I can't say to Tom. So, but with Greg, I never had to worry about, it. and I didn't really worry about that stuff anyway. If they didn't like it, go leave. We're gonna be we're gonna be three and eighty anyway. Just right. go. So um, until we started getting good, and I then I got off that philosophy. But I was still getting after people, and Greg let me get after him. So that makes it so much easier to coach, and makes the 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 ambiance. People, I think they wanted to come to practice. I mean, we ran, we worked hard, but practice, they knew they were getting better, and that was. That, that made everything easier to coach. My, I'm not an X and O genius. I'm a moron. I had to go to your room to get a freaking set. I didn't know what I was doing. I could teach a layup. Can you show me what, how many guys are on the court? Like, I didn't even know. I didn't even know what. Greg, did you need? Did you need to build this culture that you guys successfully did? Did you need the winning to add credibility to it? Like, was there like an amount of hey, we know we're because I mean. In my experience as a coach, you can be up like there's good years, bad years, and the down years. It's really hard to sell the culture because you got to have a good experience on Friday night at some point. Humans are humans. How how do you remember that playing out? Yeah, uh, I I feel like, and then while Martino was talking, I was thinking about this. I don't I don't feel like the winning was the ah. first hand. I feel okay. Like the okay. Culture was the first hand, and the winning was a product. Gotcha. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, I could feel, and everyone in the gym could feel that this was something special. You knew, and you saw the progression. And there was there were moments, you know, in our practices and after certain games or in the summer league where you'd see these things clicking. And Martino was aware of those, and he would speak on those. Mm. Hey, guys, look at this, da 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 right? And you're like, oh, okay. And then everyone's recognizing it. And so I think as a coach, you know, you have to be able to, you have to be in the game too. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean X's and O's. I mean, you have to be able to understand the defining moments of where your team is going and be able to communicate that to the guys to know how to feel it themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then when Martino's doing that, I'm starting to learn myself. 
oh, this is when he's talking about to do this. Oh, this is the moment when we can step on their throws and really win the game, right? Mm -hmm. You learn how to win. You learn how to compete. And so, yeah, it wasn't the winning. Not that that didn't help. Right. But it was more about, hey, let's build this culture of, like he said, we're going to lose anyway, but you're going to lose with integrity. You're going to lose or win with honor. You're going to lose or win and always get better and learn something. And no matter what, I'm going to get in your ass. That's Mm -hmm. Martina's philosophy. So if you don't have any other nothing there's no wiggle room because you're like hey i already know what to expect right and if you sign up this is what you're getting okay all we can do is go forward from here really you know? right no I, I i appreciate you framing it that way greg it makes me think of the book the happiness advantage that my wife made me read three years ago and that the whole purpose of that book is winning is not happiness is not the byproduct of winning if you're happy you will win and they frame it around life and people because people are like when you get rich then i'll be happy but once you're rich and you don't want to be a millionaire you want to be a billionaire so you keep moving the goal on yourself rather than – so I appreciate that, Greg. That really speaks to it. It's harder as a coach, I think, sometimes to remember that, but it's absolutely vital. Martino, you start with this one. I mean, my, McKay, we mentioned the diversity at McKay is, is one of the highest rates of diversity across uh, socioeconomic, across race, the ethnicity. All of that at McKay is unique for Oregon. You know, um, How did you manage that locker room? Did it ever come up in terms of you know we got kids from all over the place – in this locker room, you know, Greg's coming from Greg's carrying things into that space. That's a lot different than Jordan Barrier, but they played their ass off together. So did, was that consciously choices you guys made, things you did, or was it a result of the the sport? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I didn't do anything special and preach on that. I don't think Greg, I don't remember any of that stuff. We, we, we like to do things kind of as a group. I know we had some team bonding nights where we just hung out in the, in the gym, played some video games, poker and stuff. We did that a couple times. Um, I wanted it to be a family atmosphere. And, you know, we tried to, we tried to treat it as such, but um, I mean, you didn't have to be blind to look around the room uh, and see, or you didn't have to have sight, I guess, to, to know that there was diversity in that locker room from, from the coaching staff down to, down to every kid that played. Um, but, you you would you could clearly see the disrespect from other teams. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, you would hear it in their voice, the way they talk down to you, the way you know you're. Bless your hearts, you're at McKay. We know your kids don't play in the off season; uh, they don't have money to do that. Uh, but you're working hard with the kids. You know that speech you get when you're losing games, Kip. Oh. Uh, your kids always work hard. I heard that? Ga- oh. I heard that speech twenty four times this year, Coach. I've heard it. <laughs> I've heard it. <laughs> so Greg did you feel that and it sounds like and, and I experienced it too telling people like I taught at McKay I knew these kids if I I got a blend of I felt you know judgment and, and prejudice in terms of the race but more so in status I felt like they judged any of you kids at McKay as you must obviously not be very smart and none of you have any money of any kind so it's a pity festival so, so that's what I felt but Greg what was it for you guys as players Sorry, I just got a had a call. No worries. You're fine. Um, So for me, I think I'm gonna have to jump around on this to answer the question. But uh, uh, basically, I think we weren't really outwardly focused on what people were thinking about us. It was more of the part of town that we come from. That's how it is. Where you have that diversity of uh, network, you have that diversity of 
um, socioeconomic class and all these different things. So people knew how to communicate with each other. Mm. People knew what to expect. So it was, it, we were lucky that we lived in that area where the rich kid was with the poor kid and they were friends and we all knew each other. So it was like coach Martino and all of our, you know, our team, we knew who to push, who not mm. to push, who was going to respond what way. Yeah. And, and you learn, obviously you learn along the way, but I think, one thing that I did notice is that there's a few different levels of it where for me coming from not having, you know, much money and, you know, the African-American traditional you know story, the American dream is you want to be a professional athlete or an entertainer, entertainer and your the basketball is the way out. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was my goal was like, Hey, your mom, your family is not going to be able to pay for college. So you have to figure out, how you're going to find your passion or your career. And I, and I loved basketball, so it was pretty easy. But that was my motivation. It was very different than a lot of kids there from from Salem. Kids aren't thinking they're going to be professional athletes. Kids are lucky if they're not, if they go to college, if they if they have opportunities. So having that, in, and that is coming from money or not. It's just the, the culture there. It's hard when you're mm-hmm. coming from a place where there's not a ton of uh, push to be great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it doesn't mean that people don't care, but for me, my motivation was, I want to be the best of the best of the best in any room I walk in. And then some kids, they were like, I just want to play for fun. And so Martino and the coaching staff and our play, the, the program had to balance all of those at the same time. So I felt like that was more of a challenge than the outward, mm-hmm. uh, you know, communication on, Hey, what is McKay there? This, there, that it was like, well, internally, how are we going to have this goofy kid? deal with this tough kid, deal with this kid who's in and out of, you know, detention or jail. And then this kid who's, you know, trying to be a pro athlete. It's like you have a bunch of different, and then this coach who has two years of experience, one who has 10 years of experience. It's like, it was like a melting pot trying mm-hmm. to make it work. So I feel like that's where our mind was just like, Hey, how can we make what we have, which is the most unique team, mm-hmm. you know, mesh, you know? Yeah. 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 Coach. Good. No, I, that, that's well said. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it still it still falls back on um, just we had we had great kids. I mean, I say that all the time, and most of the teams I coach are filled with great kids. But that that stretch of time there, I was just blessed to get into that building at that time and be able to see Greg's class go come all the way through, and even guys that stopped playing for us, still good kids, still supported the program. Um, it, we we knew that the student body knew. The, the, the rich kids that went to McKay knew what we were dealing with. And it felt like to me, again, I'm looking at it as students, but I'm thinking particularly of a couple of our fans that came to all our games, cheered for us, rooted for us, treated the the kids that they had eight times more money than as they were their brothers. And they'd do anything for them and they'd group for them at, at any time. They'd be, and, and it probably had something to do with the fact that we were pretty good, but they'd buy gear from us. They'd help us fundraise. They, they, kept us afloat just by being supportive, but it was an entire family. Greg's class that he graduated with, if I remember correctly, had just a great group of kids that I had in the classroom, Kip, you had in the classroom, mm-hmm. that were that were great leaders in the school, and you do not see that anymore. We're only 13 years away. I'm still at a, from, from that, and I'm still at a low-income school. I'm a different low-income school, but it's a low-income school. It's not there anymore. And, and McKay, you go to a basketball game in McKay now, you can hear a pin drop. There's there, People just don't – it's not the same as it was. Um, so I'm just blessed to go through that window. But it was fun seeing those kids. You'd see it in the classroom, but but even see it on the basketball court 
um, it was, I have a vivid memory of us cutting the nets down and all that student body standing around that ladder while all those guys went up there to cut that net down. I get emotional about it now. Mm-hmm. It's just great. The, the, the family feeling all the way through was unreal. Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's take our second break and, and we'll come right back. Before we get back to the show, we want to encourage all of our listeners to seek out ways each of you can actively participate in dismantling systems of oppression and to avoid the comfort of silence. All right, we're back. Cross the Streets podcast. Jack Martino, Greg Plater, useless full information. You know, in reminiscing about your guys' experience, I kind of want to shift gears and not to, I don't want to downplay the positivity of that one. But I think it is the norm, and I think we all have this, that one team that got it right or that one year that was so good. But I think we sometimes folks paint sports as if that's the norm. That transformative, that transformative relationship piece with this team, that's not the norm. Because if you count the number of teams we've all been on collectively, that ain't the norm. I know, Greg, you had a phenomenal experience like in professional Costa Rica with my brother-in-law. You guys won a title. Coach Martino later on. But maybe talk about what was missing in other areas. Or maybe it was. I don't know. Like My experience has been you remember the teams, right, Coach? You remember your players. Yeah. You're blessed to have awesome people most of the time but the teams themselves don't have the mesh every year that other teams do you know i just went from a year we beat the number four team in america to the next year butt naked last and i and i don't think the kids were necessarily less talented i couldn't find the ways to mesh them the way i had the previous year so and I, I think that's kind of a I want to get into so many things there but what what are the factors there greg is it did you experience a great a, a building process at Long Beach State, professionally, Coach Martino, when you went to other places, what are the traits that might contribute to it really being the rarity of this truly special experience? Yeah. I 1,000%. Well, the rarity experience is, is the guy. What is it? The rarity of my experience is the kid we got on the, the 31-year-old <laughs> on the show right now. If I could have taken him to all the other places I went, I'd be counting the nets on my wall so, but honestly and it's not just how good he was at shooting the basketball it was just it was all the other stuff that we've already talked about today and when your best player is your hardest worker what's that isn't that then you got a good thing going or something like mm-hmm. that and there was no i couldn't get this clown out of the damn gym mm-hmm. you couldn't get him out of the gym it was all summer long Hey, but I'm gonna hey, shoot hundred more. I shoot hundred more, dummy. Pick <laughs> me up too. Pick me up at six in the morning. You know? Nobody. But I mean, that's just a special in my in my situation where we had one great. We had three good years. We had one great year in that stretch. Greg was is the glue that made that happen. And and his teammates were no were no lesser. They were fantastic, as I've already stated. But that had a lot to do with it. And you're right, kid. It, it has to be to have something like that. It has to go perfect to, to, to start every game with a kid who's never allowed to shoot the basketball mm-hmm. and you still be able to make it to one of the top six teams in the state. Mm-hmm. It ha- everything has to fall in place. perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I haven't been able to find it in, in, and I haven't been a head coach. I only was a head coach for seven years, but um, I've coached other good players, but that that package for that run with those guys who knew each other really well and played four years together, the mm-hmm. main three kids that we talked about earlier, really helps. I think really helps. Greg, yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly it, man. It it's 
it's really um, – sorry, can you re-spit me the, the question? So, uh, yeah, so did you experience this at Long Beach? So, oh, oh, so at Long Beach, I think as – there's a few factors. So you have the parent factor, mm-hmm. so the, the fan factor, right, where the, the people are trying to show or – put on for their family and their friends or the parents are pressuring, right? Mm. So then they have to perform. Then that creates a dynamic where if I don't get what I'm supposed to get, that's taking away from me, mm-hmm. you know? And then you have the political factor when it gets to a certain level, when money gets involved, you got bets going, you mm. have jobs on the line, you know, people at your level, at the right. collegiate level who are like, I got to win these games. So I'm going to, I'm going to build this relationship with this AAU coach or this JC coach or get these these kids you know maybe i, I want to have, have this team kids are working hard but i gotta get my my five players have to be the ones who are leading it and maybe it doesn't help us uh win as much as we could but i gotta i gotta go with what's the quickest solution that mm-hmm. i understand in that moment right? yeah right? it's more transactional it's definitely transactional, transactional. Exactly. yeah yeah and i think that's there's different relationships as you go and and rarely in my playing experience have i had an experience where uh a situation where the team was like like this you know mm-hmm. what i mean most of the time, it's like you can get them here and there, and then you kind of like randomly fall into place for the moment. You're like, okay, we're working with this for the moment. We're working with this, and this we're going to ride it out until the wave crashes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think most of sports is is a personality balance, you know, mm-hmm. because if the players and coaches aren't flexible and able to adapt and communicate with each other, then you're not going to have fluid success. And I think that again, that speaks to a broader societal issue. Mm-hmm. Is, how we communicate with each other. Um, like you guys are teachers, how you communicate with each student individually matters. You can't mm-hmm. coach every right. kid or teach every kid the same. So then if you don't adjust and flow with the tide of the team and are, are and there's not a leader or a few guys who can make the team gel, then everyone's kind of out for themselves. And I feel like that, that happens way more than that where people are just like, hey, I'm trying to get in and get out and I have my – I have my uh, priorities and mm-hmm. it doesn't gotta be scoring you could just be hey i just want to come and have fun i'm not trying to put my whole heart into this i just want to do it for a little bit mm-hmm. you know it's 75 percent important yeah when you have a guy who's 25 percent important you have a guy who's 100 percent all in how, it, the perfect storm has to happen to get all those things on the court where everybody's like hey even if i'm 75 i understand how to work with the 100 i understand how to work with the you know what i mean yeah so, they survive I, yeah I, I, it's very tough. I think that's in the. Re- I've been thinking a lot about this because in the in the in the times we're living in now, right? We got COVID. We've got the um, racial un- injustice across. The, I mean, it's a traumatic day to day experience. A lot of folks are clamoring for sport. A lot of and I mean, Martino. All of us love basketball. We love our sport. We we believe in it. But it's got me thinking. Like, why are we clamoring for something that only succeeds? When we're all like fully all into it once out of every five, six years, but maybe that's the true power of it because it the only the one is all you need. It's almost like a hole right. in one in golf. That'll keep you coming back because that right. was all you need and you'll ignore the other failures. But it's really got me thinking about our place sports in general and my little tiny slice of it with Division three basketball. What is our place in the healing after a pandemic, after what we're going through as a society? Maybe I'm underestimating it, and or maybe people are overestimating. What, what do you guys think? Because I, trust me, I want to see LeBron win another ring. I don't know if he should come back and play. You know what I mean? Like that, they've had these debates. So this is, what do you guys think in our last segment here? Well, I, I think if they, if if anything comes back to play, I even watched golf the other day. What the hell was I doing? <laughs> if anything comes back, 
you're not going to have to worry about people with masks. They're going to stay home and watch. Yeah, the, the now, ratings will be through if, the roof. If if LeBron if LeBron gets a cough, then then the, the NBA is going to go oh boy. <laughs> but but people are still going to watch. Mm-hmm. I think people are. Don't you think people are craving? Something new. Give me some. Give me. Some, I don't. It may not even have to be sports. So now that you say it, give yeah. me something. New. Is that is that though making like Greg? Maybe that's making a Lou Williams or a Greg or a Kyrie Irving's point. People want to escape, and if we go play, they'll escape and they won't. Th- and I, I'm on both sides yeah. of this fence. I don't think it's a binary choice. I think you can play and be committed to the movement at the same time. But I understand the thoughts on both sides. I sure. understand the amplifi- amplification of the platform. If the court says Black Lives Matter on the TV and 27 million people are watching Game 5. But yeah. I also understand they're watching Game 5 and not thinking about doing anything. No. So, Greg, what, what, you know, this whole co- – where do you want to go with it? Because I, it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, it's hard. It's a hard conversation. Uh, not hard. It's difficult mm-hmm. right, to, to have because how do you communicate all these different nuances? Yeah. Of it? Um. What about just in the sports realm? Are we overestimating? Are we like, are we uh, romanticizing what sport can do, or is it really that powerful? Well, I think yeah, I think there is a a bit of uh, that romanticization of like sport is going to heal all these things, right? Yeah, and it, you got to think about it. all these different happenings are, I think, to distract, and mm-hmm. I don't mean distract from all the, what's happening. I mean like distract the individual from hey, if I and focus on sports, I don't have to acknowledge the anxiety mm. or the pain that yeah. I may be going through or to see what's happening in the world and accept it because I think a lot of people aren't really uh, personally ready to accept these things because if you accept the happenings that are happening in this, the things that are happening in this country, you're going to have to accept something about yourself. You're going to have to do personal work. You're going to have to listen to somebody that you probably haven't listened to. Mm-hmm. And sports weirdly is the thing that usually helps people understand that right that's it's so powerful (laughs) okay well if i want to help if i want to understand this maybe sports is going to be the way because that's the only way they know Mm -hmm. but sports also communicates stepping outside of your comfort zone Mm -hmm. you know communicating with different kinds of people there's so many lessons that we learn in sports that could be applied to this situation uh, that I think aren't being utilized. Yeah. I think people are thinking that the sports, the physical action of sport will heal this or help. But I think how about we look at over the years in our history, what have we got from sports and how can we apply mm, that now? Mm-hmm. And and it's like, I don't have to cook a meal a thousand times to know that I can cook it. I've cooked the meal a couple times. Mm-hmm. You know, you get it down, you perfect it, but then you're like, I shouldn't have to be proven again and again. So I'm saying you don't have to. You shouldn't have to see the sport need to to say, "Oh, I'm going to get these things from." You're like, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I I feel like I've been in these situations that sports has taught me and understand. Hey, I need to wear a mask because that means I'm sacrificing for my team. Yeah, I may not Great. personally agree with it, and I I was at the the store, the farmers market. Everyone's in a mask, and I started having trouble breathing because I was like, "Man, this is." really annoying but then i thought well it could be a lot worse mm-hmm. i can still breathe as soon as i get away from people i'll slide the mask off and i'll breathe in open air as long as i'm without you know far from people right mm-hmm. and then so a lot of times when i'm thinking of how i'm going to handle these situations in my life personally financially with covid i'm like what would i do if it was my team mm. what lessons are we teaching so as a coach as a player as a fan as a fan 
what do you want the players to do? Mm-hmm. If LeBron's shooting every shot, you say, man, he's selfish. Why isn't he passing the ball? And I think of this COVID thing the same way. It's like, hey, pass the ball. Get the assist because mm-hmm. it's not about you, you know? And yeah. at the same time, I can also empathize and understand, hey, these things are frustrating. You want some um, emotional support. You want to be able to live life normally. And other people are also in situations where, you know, they're in, you know, maybe suffering from domestic abuse or kids getting meals from their school. So mm-hmm. there's a lot, a lot of other situations on the flip side where it's like, it's not just a, uh, a defiant, hey, I want to, I don't want to do this. It's also livelihood. So mm-hmm. I, I, like Kip said, I understand both sides and I want to, I want to make sure I communicate that I am not, hey, only this, hey, only that. I'm like, go as far as you yeah. can for other people and then, you know, communicate how you feel and maybe we can meet each other. Yeah. Where well, I appreciate you said earlier, Greg, a great, the word I've been trying to use and not by any means am I this Svengali that knows everything, but I think nuance is a great word because I think we get caught up in A or B thinking and adulthood requires every letter in between. You have to have all these, another thing you guys brought up and I'm going to nerd out for a minute on the podcast, but it's going to help me because I got a presentation tomorrow uh, on the language of coaching and it, stay with me for a second how it applies. The, The human mind is hardwired to wander. Like if it didn't wander and daydream, you would literally count every breath. When Martino, you know I do that anyway, just to see if I'm healthy. Uh, but your your day, you couldn't function because your brain would be so locked into all the processes. So it's hardwired to function. As a coach, our whole job or a teacher is to grab Greg, for example, out of mind wandering and get you to pay attention. And there's really four ways the brain does it. And the, the most effective way is context salience, meaning does it affect me? And how does it affect me? So I think, Greg, when you mentioned, it made me think of it when you mentioned sport. And even if it's somebody that played junior high flag football, maybe the context of that moment is the is the entry to their give a damn about somebody else. You still have to go through their, well, how did that affect you? And now apply it. Because if you just scream at it like frequency or in um, intensity is also a way to grab attention, but they're least effective. So screaming and yelling that we all revert to, yeah, that's a way, but sooner or later you get drowned out. Saying it over and over and over and over is a frequ- is a frequency word. It's effective, but sooner or later you get drowned out. It makes you think a lot about the messaging around social justice. Like we've been screaming. We've been saying it a lot. And until we can get it applied to your give a damn for you, it shit ain't going to change. But that's a whole other podcast, guys. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but right. that that's really had me thinking. I've been I was reading that book just to change my language in coaching because I did a shitty job this last year. So how can I be better with the words I use? But man, just that fact about human brain really, ex- like, it doesn't it encapsulate everything? Like, you're not going to go wear a mask until I prove to you it's in your best interest. And then maybe I can get you to, like, what Greg's saying, to give a damn about others. But I can't get in the door until I prove to you it's relevant to you. Right, yeah, that's, that's really good. Yeah, it's, my, my position at school now when i first started it i didn't, didn't have any training in it i went from the math classroom one day to dealing with, with kids making decisions in the other and my my go-to was to treat it as a coach and but then that go-to was to start yelling because I, I couldn't i didn't have the relationship with those kids that i had with my players so i could yell at my players and they could they figured out all right he wants us to do this and you know, we're going to do it but when you start yelling at these kids i'm just another big white guy screaming at me. What are you what are you yelling at me for? Mm-hmm. I just got out of a teacher's classroom who was yelling at me. Mm-hmm. And so it, it took me five weeks to go, why am I yelling? In fact, Cynthia Richardson, our old principal over at McKay, 
she's the one that told me I needed to do this job. She thought I'd be good at it. And I went to her and I'm like, hey, I'm not getting this. I'm screaming at kids. And she goes, just don't scream at them. You don't have to scream at them. You don't scream all the time. So it, that became, and it kind of what Kip had like, talked about, how did McKay, how did, I think you wrote it, Kip, when you sent us an email, was how did McKay prepare yeah. you um, for life, really, but what's going on now? And that was, you had to have as close to an individual relationship with every kid that you you could. And it took me a while to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And it's completely changed. Now I love that job because kids aren't afraid to come talk to me. They know they can come to me, tell me and go, you know, this has been some nonsense in the classroom. I'm being treated this way. And I don't understand all of it, but I'm a, I, I can be a sounding board now. And it's not just a yell fest in my office. Mm-hmm. I don't know where I was going with that, but you no, said no, something. No, yeah, no, yeah, no. I beginning was it was it's the relationship is huge. Yeah, 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 for sure. And I think, I mean, as you guys were talking, just the I, I'm trying to figure out the where my job or where sports fits in what should be important right now, and that's and I think it goes back, and maybe that's some of that identity piece, Greg. You talked about is grappling with. You know, as much as important as what I do is to me, does that mean it should be that somebody else's priority to get back and running or to get back in flowing in the middle of all this? So I, there's so many ways we can do a whole nother podcast. I'd be surprised <laughs> there's another coach in this country that knows their kids as well as you do, based on all the stuff you do. Well, and- I, well, see, coach, but I I also think that it maybe it gave me a false. Because we've really struggled as as much as we rep difficult conversations around sexual and domestic violence in our teams of men program, right. we have still been it's been pulling teeth to do the same type of discussions with race. It's been very right. hard. It's been and I think my kids have gotten reps in hard discussions, but they're still not prepared for this. So that's like for me, right. like man, we got to add, we got to do. But then also, like Greg mentioned, people are coming; they're carrying so many different things into conversations right. and spaces. I got to get over people speaking back to me immediately as buy-in or listening. That's not necessarily the case. There might be a really quiet kid in there that's really digesting everything, but what it's making him think about, he's not, right. you know, it's not, he's not ready to share. And that's hard for me as a, you know, you're, as a coach, you're used to analytics and production and A equals B. Sometimes, you know, even me, I got to pump the brakes and on my expectations of what that will be just because yeah. I like talking a lot. Who doesn't know that? No shit, Kip. You never shut up. That doesn't mean that's the way, right, for everybody. Right. Well, right. that makes me think about, you know, I'm going to go a little meta here, but the whole structure of how we view life sports, I think we need to blow it up a little bit and stop playing the role. I think there's a lot of acting involved. Mm. Um and imposter syndrome, or, or I don't know if that's the word, probably not imposter syndrome, but I think there's a lot of people who aren't being their full self in these situations, right? Mm-hmm. You're, like, if I come to my team, Long Beach State, say, I'm a, I'm Greg at Long Beach State with the team. When I go home, am I that same person? Right. When I'm with these, in this room, in the classroom, am I the same person? Can I be as vulnerable with the first group as I am with the last group? Mm-hmm. If not, then you're having to shapeshift. Yeah, and that's hard because then you're having to be someone else in different spaces, and so the, you think about culture, think about toxic toxic masculinity, mm-hmm. think about our, uh, you know, you make a mistake, it's on film mm-hmm. nowadays, right? The cancel culture where it's like, hey, 
you know, I'm going to record you tripping and I'm going to laugh and send it. Or you missed a jump shot. You airballed. So we're all screaming in the gym. Like people are so afraid to make a mistake and people are so quick to cancel a person for making a mistake mm-hmm. that I feel like people are hesitant because they don't know what's on the other side of their communication. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's people who are so quick to communicate that they're not actually listening. Mm-hmm. So you have two mm-hmm. problems going hand in hand at the same time. That's then you a have great point. The, the people in the middle who are like you, who are like, hey, I see both. I'm trying to get how we can make everyone hear, right. listen, learn, and go forward. Because we all kind of want the same thing at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But like this whole sports conversation is, and that's what made me think about is like, the reason why people love sports is because it makes them feel a sense of connection. Mm. It makes them feel a part of something. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know how to do that in other ways, then you're going to go back to the thing that Great feeds you, point. the thing that makes you yeah. feel that, right? Yeah. Because how you say, oh, how, how do I connect with, if I'm a, if I'm an older white man or an older white woman, how do I connect with a young black man? I can watch the sports. That's right. the, the quickest way. I can see the ways that they're like me. Yeah. I can see the ways that, that we have something in common. But if we go to the grocery store, is that going to be the same? Great point. Right? And so I think the bigger issue, and I say blow it up, is because just think about if you stripped our skin, stripped our, and we had just our personalities and, and interests and, and abilities or whatever, our interests and things and activities we do on paper, mine would look very much like someone else who doesn't like look like minutes. me, who doesn't Down. talk like me, think like me. But for some reason, we're so caught up in how we look, yeah. our bodies, that that then adjusts how we communicate to people. No, versus, yeah. hey, Kip, you like to play basketball? Martina, you like to play basketball? Yeah. Let's fucking hoop. <laughs> Who cares what we look like? You know yeah. what I mean? So yep. I think a lot of it is our issues are stuck on what the person looks like. And that's what I think the, the you know racism is the, the bigger, uh, more prominent issue right now because people are stuck on what people look like. And that is such a elementary level mindset to me. It's so beneath what we need to do because you think, okay, if I'm trying to win is what we're trying to do in this world, we're trying to achieve a goal. Say we're on a team, right? We're on a human species team, mm-hmm. right? Our goal is to be happy. Maybe we have our religion or our practice that we, you know, contribute to. We have our, we try to do positive things in the world and we want to pursue our passions, right? I think that's a general thing that we do in life. Sure. And so if I'm letting this very trivial thing get in my way to think, Oh, uh, this person's different than me or this is this without actually knowing that's already eliminating and holding a lot of things back that could be, you know? And so I think the racism part is, it's so ridiculous because there's people who, uh, who have so much potential who could be relating and connecting with so many other people in other ways outside of the ones that we know sports and entertainment. Those are the basic ways. It's all run on a same system. that's not really working, but if we went a little bit deeper, and, and, and allow people to be themselves fully, then we have a culture where it's like, I can be vulnerable with my teacher the same way I'm with my teammate, the same way I'm with my coach, the same way I'm with my partner or my family. And then you don't feel that that holding in, right? Mm-hmm. right? And that animosity. So I really think that we have to stop playing games, stop acting, and we have to allow people to be their full selves in whatever regards that it means. Great. Do you think I I, I I love what you had to say? Do you That's think beautiful. some of the COVID and the and the stuff happening because we're stuck in our house and we can't escape to that shape shifting identities is really making people have to grapple, and that's an uncomfortable situation. 
Like I'm yeah. stuck with me, and I, you know, I, I'm by. I can't leave the. I can't lead the woke bus by any means. But I like to think I'm in self, you know, a self retrospective, inflection type person. And this is hard for me to sit around with me all day. So I'd imagine I, what you were saying really makes people like, man, there's a lot of just sitting around pondering time when before you could escape to your job, you could escape to the bar, you could escape to the game, and you yeah. could be all those different people you mentioned and you didn't have to think about, why am I doing that? Now you're just at home like, whoa. Right. Well, this goes back to the point we were making earlier. It's like the reality of most teams, which is our human species as a team, is not the happy-go-lucky the, the one where we win a championship. Right, right. Only one team wins, right? Right. So if people are expecting, I think um, the American exceptionalism teaches that, that we're supposed to be here. We're supposed to be the best, the best, the best, and we're number one. No. I've learned through sports that in life and being in places that were where I was alone. I spent a lot of alone time. You know, you're mm -hmm. in the hotels or you're living in a country across the world. Um, you're out on the court by yourself. You know, I, I spent so much time by myself that I've accepted and I, I really love being in my own space. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not able to do that, you're not comfortable to do that, um, it's going to be really hard for you. You know what I'm saying? And so that's why this COVID time is so hard for people because yeah. they, they haven't had to sit with themselves and have that time. You know what I mean? Right. And so right. if, you, if you if you can't sit with yourself and you can't have that time to reflect and acknowledge what's happening, then you're really just trying to distract yourself to think that oh, things aren't really happening. It's like, no, embrace the pain, embrace other people's pain and accept the reality that, hey, this world is fucked up in a lot of ways. And hey, are you writing for the call map? Because I'm pretty sure the call map sent me a text yesterday. Call map, I highly recommend it to everybody out there on Team Anxiety. Uh, the call map says most of the ills of the world stem from man's inability to sit quietly with himself. Wow. That's it? That's deep. Okay. That's deep. <laughs> True, Content reminder. The opinions expressed on today's episode are those of the hosts and guests alone and should not be viewed as reflective of the opinions of the institutions or employers of the hosts and guests.